Hello and Happy New Year everyone. Welcome back to Finding Fair Health podcast. To start off the new year with some cheery optimism, which I think we could all do with, I'm talking to the energetic Dr Ollie Hart. We talk about personalised care, patient activation, building trust and rapport and lots more. Ollie's energy and love for his job is infectious. I hope you enjoy the episode. So welcome to Finding Fair Health podcast. I'm so pleased to be talking to Dr. Ollie Hart today. Ollie is a GP partner, health coach and commissioner with a specific interest in personalised and patient-centred care. Ollie has both a local and national role in training professionals in person-centred care and the use of patient activation measure, PAM, in primary care to manage long-term conditions. Ollie is a primary care network lead in Sheffield, so I'm all too aware that this is a particularly busy time for him. On top of all of this, Ollie works with colleagues across the city to encourage increased movement and exercise through a programme called Move More. And he has a role as Global Health and Wellbeing Ambassador for Parkrun. Ollie definitely practices what he preaches, as he pretty much is always in cycling gear. He cycles everywhere in our lovely but hilly Sheffield. Ollie has been a great supporter of this podcast, so it's great to finally have him on here. So welcome, Ollie. How are you doing? Oh, great. Thanks, Rachel. It's very generous to bring me on. Thank you. Oh, well, it's really, really great to have you here. Um, Ollie, I've learned so much from both you and your colleague, Tim, at um, Peak Health Coaching around personalised care and health coaching. I think for me, this has been specifically around kind of management of long term conditions, chronic pain, things like that. And as a trainee, personalised care was such a big part of like, my learning um, to consult, really. And but actually, in reality, sometimes this can actually slip, slip by the wayside a little bit with the practicalities of the, the sort of day job and getting things done on a busy day. I'd love to hear from you what kind of got you involved with all of this and why you think this is so important. Yeah, sure. Great. Well, you mentioned Tim, my uh, partner in Peak Health Coaching. So Tim and I met at the pain clinic um, and we were GPs with a special interest in pain. 10, 10 years ago, probably so now, um, and that we forged a really strong friendship. And it's lovely, isn't it, working with people that you really admire and respect? So that's been brilliant. But what we learned at the pain clinic was that um, you know people living with a horrendous condition, chronic chronic pain. We see loads of it in primary care, don't we? And often don't know what to do. Um, the people that always did best were the ones that made a bit of a journey from feeling like they were totally out of control and that they wanted to be passive recipients of care to kind of getting that actually they needed to take a more active role. Um, and just time and time again, we saw people go on that journey um, and we realised that our role was skills to try and help them to get there for themselves. And it was so much less about what we did, but much more about how we supported them. So we just, we just learned through dealing with people with, with chronic pain that, that that's what worked really. Yeah, and so that's, that's really interesting that you've kind of been thinking about that journey that patients are going on. And so whereabouts in that journey do you think it's really um, good to get involved with that patient? Well, I suppose that's, that's where Tim and I have been on a journey, really, is, is that you know, we've, we've been on that journey from thinking, well, to start off with, well, it's all about what we do to realising it's not really about us at all. It's a sort of mindset shift where you sort of realise that actually your focus needs to be in a different place. Um, so uh, and that means that people will be at different points so uh, this is the real skill set we have to have is working out where is somebody in their journey that they're usually there for very good reasons so uh, you know it's sort of why are they there 
Um, and you know, how am I best placed to support them right now with, with the current context they're in, which means you have to have so much more information than just the sort of clever stuff you learn to medical school. You know, you, <laughs> it's so much less, I mean, it's important that we make a diagnosis and that we use our, our learning and our insight. We know it's really important that, that people find their own feet in looking after themselves and, and that our role is to support them in that. Yeah, so there's a move away from kind of that kind of almost didactic um, approach to kind of giving out advice and telling patients what we think as doctors is the best thing for them. And so I suppose is that sort of, you say patients thinking on their feet, but kind of, yeah, I suppose giving patients time to think, coming up with the plan themselves. Um, Would you agree with that? I do. I think thinking is a really important thing, actually. And and, um, if our focus is how is the person thinking for themselves, you, you, you go much further. I mean, everybody you meet says I'm, I'm person centred, which is really interesting, isn't it? Because words sometimes are really sort of, uh, you know, um, don't conjure up actually what you're trying to do. People say person centred care or personalised care. And everyone says, of course, the person's at the centre of what I do. You know, of course, that's all, I'm all about the patient. But a lot of the time what we do is we think inwards. We put the person in the middle and we do all, all our thinking in towards them. Um, and they almost get squashed by us. Whereas there's another dynamic where the person's at the centre, but we're trying to make all our efforts to enable them to think outwards and for them to grow their own confidence and their own experience of what they do for themselves, making their own mistakes, you know, all all those sort of things. Um, So we're giving them the safety and the context and the space to do that. But it's a a mindset shift for us. We're thinking, you know, it's not about me being clever and doing stuff to people. It's about me being clever to help them to work out how to do things for themselves. Yeah, yeah, okay. And how do you, so how do you make this work practically in your day job, Ollie? Yeah, well, you can, that's always the sort of thing, isn't it? People say, oh, goodness, I'm so busy. This is just an extra thing to do. Um, But for me, I've got to that stage in my career where, you know, you can't make time. You know, you have no more time. No, no one does, you know. So actually what I realise is that if I do this well, the patient makes time for themselves you know sort of uh it's the whole teach a man to fish type thing isn't it really you know that so uh, it's a really good use of my time if my time is spent however long it is whether it's 10 minutes 15 minutes 20 minutes if during that time he thinks really well for themselves and has a few penny drop moments they'll carry on doing stuff outside the consulting room all by themselves it's like you you you, you trigger them off you know um if you're too clever in terms of sort of you know pushing medical stuff on them you have this terrible risk of overwhelming people and and actually when they get out of the consulting room they feel much less confident to do stuff for themselves because it feels like they've got to just follow the instructions of what the doctor said so actually if if what you think about is not the time you have with them but the time that they're going to have outside the room with themselves and, and how you're going to influence that uh, I feel it's far more important so I just give more priority to this sort of stuff because I think in the end it'll be more effective yeah absolutely brilliant and how, how, how have you seen that actually benefit your patients well it, it's really interesting isn't it you you um you realize the relationship you have with patients becomes much much deeper and much more meaningful um, we all know, don't we, when we're sort of selling health, you know, we're, we're, we're pushing that kind of right. What you've got to do is you've got to do this, this and this. And, and, and you can just sort of see people glazing over. And when they come back to you, you sort of get the feeling that they've they don't want to disappoint you by not having by telling you they haven't done what you exactly what you've said. 
But, you know, I find now with patients where it's worked really well, I have a much more meaningful relationship. We have a much more honest banter back and forth. And they're asking for top tips and fine tuning. Um, and it's just it just feels like a much more um, balanced but much more productive relationship. It's still professional, but like you're just friends. That's a different sort of thing, isn't it? It's definitely a purposeful professional relationship. Um, but it, it just feels so much more productive. You can see people taking on things and making meaningful changes that they then sustain themselves. Um, and I'll give you an example. Um, you know, there's lots and lots now. I, I used to think it was just a one-off when it first happened. I thought, oh, that'll never happen again. But I've got confident now that it just consistently happens. But uh, there's a guy, Dave, uh, I've changed his name, um, who I've, I've worked with over the last few years, who, um, you know, when he first came to me, he had, um, type 2 diabetes and was on insulin um, and uh, you know overweight uh, used to be a lorry driver and he told me that his experience of healthcare was getting told off all the time and feeling a bit guilty and going out with his tail between his legs you know and sort of feeling like he was failing and wasn't doing what he's supposed to do um, and the relationship between us changed you know we sort of I gave him a bit of information. We sort of talked about what he wanted to do. Um, he really enjoyed cycling, actually, in the end. He didn't know it at the start. He was looking for something to do, and, and he rediscovered his joy for cycling. Um, and through that and mixing with other people and finding his own way, a way that I never would have guessed um, that you know, Dave would have chosen cycling as his thing, and he did. He, he, and he, in the end, he came off his insulin, lost three stone, you know, made a journey that medically I never would have thought possible. But he made that journey himself um, and he did it in his own way. And, and that just gets reproduced again and again and again if you trust and support people in the right way. Yeah, fantastic. That's a great story. It's great to hear about Dave. Um, and I suppose it, you, you've touched on this before, so you've kind of got to meet people kind of where they're at. And that's where kind of the patient activation measure kind of comes in, where you're kind of seeing sort of at the level of activation patients are at. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and kind of how that's relevant? Probably? Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? We, we in healthcare as professionals, we tend to use measures a lot, don't we? You know, there's a whole adage, isn't it? If you don't measure it, it doesn't matter. Um, so something as important as the role the person feels confident to play for themselves, you know, their, their knowledge and confidence to look after themselves. You know, if your mindset shifts to focusing on them, it becomes really, really important. And all the evidence shows us actually that that is as important as any other stuff we measure. It's probably more important than their blood pressure. I'd say actually a lot more important than their blood pressure, which we all know is really important to measure and to change and influence. Um, so if you're thinking about someone's activation, it's really helpful to be able to sort of say, well, I've got a validated, independent way of assessing it. And as a result of that, I'll know where to start with them. But I'll also know if I'm making progress and if, if things are improving. Um, so I really like things like the PAM because it starts to shine a light on that area. Now, I know that giving someone a questionnaire is not always the most natural thing and often it disrupts your relationship and your flow. So it might not be something that you're going to want to do all the time. But to me, if something matters, you do need to put some rigor around it. Um, and, you know, having a validated tool just just helps, really. I think the principle of activation is almost more important than necessarily always just rigidly measuring it with with a single tool. So, you know, the fact that you can determine that someone is genuinely lower level of activation so they feel less confident, less skillful and knowledgeable means that I think you then apply a different set of skills to that person to, if you know that someone is at a higher level of activation. Now, you, you might be really have a really strong relationship with someone and be really good at doing that. Um, and sometimes I'll ask just a simple question, you know, sort of like, 
tell, tell me what you do to look after yourself. That's a really good, simple question. You know, and if someone's at low level of activation, they'll usually go, well, that's your job, doctor, isn't it? You know, I, I, I take the pills you tell me to take and, and, you know, which obviously they don't, but, you know, that sort of question. And if someone's at a high level of activation, you say, tell me what you're doing to look after yourself. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, I've, I've uh, downloaded this app from the internet and it's, uh, it's helping me to sort of uh, count my calories. Um, the only thing I'm a bit nervous about, though, is how many calories I should have before I go on my bike ride. Perhaps you could help me with that, doctor. You know, so you, get, you, you just have a very different conversation if you're prepared to let them lead where they're going to go. Yeah, completely. And it, 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 it occurs to me that the people who are probably the most challenging in this situation are those people with the low activation. And actually, then when you bring in sort of complexity, particularly within kind of areas of deprivation, and you bring in the multiple comorbidities that people are living with at the moment, where does that come in there? Because I think it's, that's probably where, um, sort of practically, um, for me thinking about in practice, this becomes much more challenging to have these conversations. Yeah, that's it's a that's a really a key area, isn't it? You know, and it comes into the inequalities aspect as well, doesn't it? And there's a there's a few things to say here, really. I mean, the first, I guess, is that uh, we do have to suspend our normal way of practice. You know, that we often, I think, um, perceive people at lower level activation as disengaged, the sort of non-compliant, and the ones that we've really got to sort of like take hold of and sort out. Um, and we're often drawn to sort of tell them what to do and give them instructions and sort of we almost sort of like dig a bit deeper, don't we, to sort of desperately pull them onto our page. And, I, you know, I'm not saying I know everything, but what I've learned is that often it really isn't very effective. Um, and the skill set of working with some lower levels of activation is not about telling them what to do. It's much more around understanding why they are where they are. So it's so much more about building trust and rapport, you know, so finding out what's going on in their world. We're often very tempted to sort of say, no, you're, you know, your, your blood sugar's through the roof, you know, you're drinking and smoking, you know, you sort of like, you're, and, and we want to give them advice and tell them what to do. Ironically, most of the, the sort of, you know, um, teaching around health coaching, it's the opposite, actually. We can tell the people at higher levels of activation what to do because they, they just want a bit of fine tuning, you know, tell me what to eat when I go on a cycle ride. Yeah, there you go. That's what you should eat. Oh, brilliant. Thanks. At lower levels of activation, you tell people what to do. It just compound their feeling of being overwhelmed and everybody trying to sort of like have a go at them so it's counterintuitive actually people at low level of activation need much less if you telling them what to do and much more if you building rapport and understanding yeah, yeah that's so interesting ollie by labeling someone as low activation you can kind of almost it feels like you're starting a bit of a blame game there um yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to come on to. The sort of blame thing is really important, isn't it? You know, sort of there's a temptation to say, yeah, high activation is good. Someone's looking after themselves. Low activation is bad. But actually, there's often, there's usually very good reason why somebody is low activation for, for, around health. You know, um, I mean, two cases of real people, you know, uh, uh, let's say, um, you know, mum of a big family. You know, I, I know some big, big Asian family. You know, she's absolutely dedicated to looking after all her relatives her ch and uh, numerous children so for her for her health it just comes right down the bottom you know she hasn't got time to look after herself because she's too busy looking after everybody else in the family you know that's a that's not something you could blame someone for because it's an amazingly altruistic thing to do but it leaves her very little time to look after herself Similarly, you know, a really successful businessman runs a multi-million pound business, you know, um, he's spending all his time looking after his employees and the finances of his business, eating business lunches, you know, he's got, he's got no time to look after his health because it's just low down his priority list. So, you know, 
we often attempted to sort of, um, particularly with behavior change, you know, we often sort of say, well, you know, you've, you sh you've got the power, you know, you change what you eat, you change how you exercise, you change, you know, how you think about yourself. Um, but actually, most of the time, what we uh, do, our behavior is, is much more influenced by what's around us, by our context and our environment and, you know, our values, you know, what, what our priorities are. So actually just to sort of simply wag a finger at someone and tell them and say, you ought to stop smoking or you ought to drink less without appreciating the stress or the context or the sort of like, you know, the, the pressure they've got on them is harmful, really. You know, it's, it, it's harmful. So and it's totally ineffective. And I completely agree. Context is so important. And so much of the stuff that, that I think about in terms of um, tackling health inequalities is thinking about the social determinants of health and how they impact on patients. What, so how would you bring sort of health coaching um, and kind of thinking about sort of personalised care into kind of thinking about the social determinants of health and that, and that context element that you've just been talking about? Yeah, again, really good question. And, uh, you know, I think the, the danger with these sort of things is that, again, I think I can tell people how to do things, you know, and I think the best, if, if I'm going to give any advice, the best advice is for people to trust uh, the value of building a relationship with someone, you know, and, um, you know, people often get, I, I hear people get really overwhelmed and sort of say, oh, goodness, how am I ever going to get my head around this sort of stuff? But it is about human relationships, you know, and people are already really skilled at that, you know, uh, often have a lot of, um, you know, people have lots of life experiences themselves, don't they? You know, so in a, in a way you're doing no more than allowing a human relationship to build. But of course, you're doing it in a professional context, you know, where you have knowledge and information that you, that you bring together to, to the situation. So, you know, it's natural then, isn't it? If you take that perspective to want to explore where someone's at, you know, um, well, I talked about low levels of activation. So, you know, um, if you want to build a relationship with someone, you need to understand where they're at, what's going on, what's happening, you know, let them speak in their own terms. And I guess your initial job is to make sure they feel safe enough and trust you enough to reveal some of the stuff that's going to be important. Um, and, and, you know, you, that you're sensitive to their um, their level of privacy. You know, so some people uh, will want uh, to share everything with you. You know, some people are very private and really don't want you prying in, in, in into stuff. You know, I had a, um, it's interesting. I almost had a complaint the other day from a guy who, um, you know, uh, he, he, he's, he didn't come from this country, you know, he, and so I was asking about his home country because I wanted to get a bit of a picture from him. And I realised he was totally isolated in this country and he was on his own. I was trying to look for connections and things that would um, enable us to sort of work together and understand together. But, but in the end, he thought I was prying and he thought I was digging around in his, you know, why did he, why did he want to know about where I, where I come from and my, my family back home? Um, and he got really upset. So you do have to be a little careful that you understand the balance in, in, in that um but you you know if you if you do start to build up a relationship like that it it you know it forms the basis then for being helping them to to, to, to have a much more productive outcome yeah 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 and i suppose that productive outcome is around the sort of almost like a productive interaction between you and the the patient and that's obviously kind of where it starts is having that trust and building confidence within the relationship and within your first consultation when you first met someone it may well be that you that's all you're doing is sort of setting up the groundwork for that uh, absolutely you know i mean at the end of the day you know you're not the one that's going to have to go back into that situation are you You know so if you appreciate the context of stuff it, you know it will make you realize that the ex expectation to do some of the things we might want them to do at that time from a health point of view 
stop smoking, reduce their sugar intake, whatever it is, might be totally unreasonable, you know, and actually mm. be very disrespectful to expect someone to do something that's just impossible at the time. What, what I often end up doing, you know, because you are, you, are, you are professionals, you are trying to move someone in a direction. So often, you know, I'll spend, I think to myself, right, the first 10, 15 minutes, maybe the next consultation, the next one after is all about understanding where you're at. But at some point, I will gently nudge back. So it's, you know, people often tell you they, they don't want to, uh, this situation is terrible. They just, you know, they, they, they don't want to be in pain. They don't want to do this. So, you know, I guess the, the point to get to is where you're sort of helping them to realise that what's going on it isn't acceptable to them. So it's about awareness raising in a gentle way, you know, sort of like, so, you know, that gentle challenge back then is, God, this sounds really tough. Is, it, is this working for you? You know, is this where you want to be? And then you can start to open up that kind of concept. Of, well, no, it isn't really, you know, so, so what could be a bit better? You know what does better look like? What's the, what's the first step towards better? Um, and it just gives you a little chink in the right direction, because um, often people at lower levels of activation, you often people talk about sort of them being the heart sick patient, don't they? The ones you think, oh, well, now I'm going to make any progress here, um, and you know sometimes you don't, but you definitely don't make progress by sort of wagging a finger and telling you what to do. You're much more like to start to get them thinking a bit differently if you if you take this approach. I think. Yeah, no, fascinating. And I think you, you, you mentioned the heart sink patient there. And I think that's really interesting around kind of confidence in the clinician. And I find that really interesting kind of how it's changed for my consulting is that those low activation patients have become much less, well, they're still challenging patients for me, but they're much less, they don't, they don't have an impact on my confidence quite so much where I feel like I'm not doing anything, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's that, where's, where's your locus of focus? You know, if, if you're thinking about how you're feeling about it and am I doing the right thing, you know, it's, it's often really powerful to share that with someone, you know, because we're, we're practicing from a defensive position of vulnerability, isn't it? Am, am I doing enough? Am I, am I doing the right job? If somebody else is in this situation, would they do a better job than me? You know, and, and actually a lot of this is about our confidence as well, isn't it? And, you know, you are where, we, where you are, you've, you know, undoubtedly by the time you've got to be a doctor or a healthcare professional, you already have gone through loads of training. So you'll have lots of knowledge um, that you can bring into the situation. Uh, but you have to trust that this is going to be a, an open partnership <laughs> and that there'll be loads of stuff you won't know about and loads of stuff you'll feel vulnerable and exposed about. Um, and, you know, it, it's probably honest sometimes to, to share that, isn't it? And, you know, that's that's how you build, a again, a really trusting relationship by by not trying to pretend that you can do stuff or know stuff that you don't. Yeah, definitely. And I think it does change your relationship long-term with your patients. Have you found that, it sounds like with some of the, even the examples you've given already, um, Ollie, that you've better relationships with your patients using these models, using these techniques. Would you say that was the case? I, I, absolutely. You know, the, the, there's people that I really enjoy seeing who you know, might have been what you might call heart sink patients before, um, but I mean, there's, there's, there's also people where you realize you're on a bit of a journey and, and, um, you know, sometimes it can feel uncomfortable as well, isn't it? To have to, you know, you, we all like slipping into that spot where it's really comfortable. We've got lovely, healthy banter. Probably they're becoming a bit dependent on us, you know, um, and we're just kind of doing the same dance all the time. And so we, that's, we do have to challenge ourselves as well because that isn't particularly productive for the person either, you know. So there's this fine line, isn't there? Well, how do I push them on so that their thinking becomes more productive for them? Um, but also how do I maintain a relationship? So, uh, yeah, the, the patients that I really value are the ones where we are on a journey. We are sparring a bit um, and there is sometimes challenge, you know, and sometimes people do get, 
you know, you go too far and people sort of say, well, actually, I'm not quite ready for that yet. And they'll go away for a bit and then they might come back and go, oh, I had a little think about what you're saying. And do you know what? Yeah, I think you were right on some things, but actually not on others. And, and I think when I think about it, this is, this is how I perceive it. And that's just fun. That is what makes my spine tingle because I think brilliant. They're, they're telling me now what, what needs to be done and what they know. And that, that always works better and it feels so good that. Yeah, that feeling when you've got a good relationship with a patient is brilliant, isn't it? Um, so moving on, Ollie, I really wanted to use your kind of experience as a leader within the system because I know you're doing lots of stuff locally and nationally. Um, and I, just, I do just wonder how much is there similarities between what you're doing practically day job um kind of as a gp um and those health coaching things that you're using all of these techniques and as a leader within the system yeah <laughs> well i tell you what i'm flying by the seat of my pants <laughs> it's you know i think um there's a perception isn't there that people are like know exactly what they're doing you know and i am making so many mistakes you know and i think probably what i've learned is just to be confident enough that actually yeah you will make mistakes, but you know, you, you use some first principles and it's the same first principles. Again, it's not about me. It's not about me being this kind of wonderful leader or knowing what to do. It's about the people around me and how, how they flourish and how they get on. You know, sometimes you realize that your best leadership role has just been when you just sat back and shut up and, and let other people around you come up with the ideas and take things forward. And, and, you know, it's that, vulnerability again isn't it well what am i needed here what am i doing here you know, am, I, am i doing my job but actually you do realize after a while that yeah you are you're you're you might give a little nudge a bit of encouragement a little bit of you know sort of feedback about something um you know that's that's kind of honest um uh, and sometimes challenging you know but actually that I've, i'm learning all the time that that's more effective leadership than than sort of saying hey i've got a great idea why don't we do it like this um, the, the more times I sit on my hands and shut up, the better it ends up being. <laughs> but that's so difficult to do, isn't it? Because you think I'm a leader, you know, this should be my job, you know. So it's it's having that confidence yourself to sit back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I imagine that ability to sit back comes from quite a lot of the work you've been doing with the health coaching stuff. Would you say that that was kind of better than that? I think it, I think you know probably subconsciously I'm, ne- I'm not sure if I've necessarily deliberately thought like that but that's it's definitely really helpful I think and I suppose it, it is having the sort of you, you know you do have to make a judgment call don't you there are times as a leader where you do have to get stuck in and you do have to say right I need to intervene here you know and I think I see this is going the wrong way uh, from for how I perceive it um, and you, you know you do need to jump in in the same way with healthcare it's the same thing isn't it you know you what we're talking about with personalised care and so on works really well in a long-term condition where people have got time and they're going to be involved in, in looking after themselves over a number of years. You know, there are emergency situations where something comes up, uh, a crisis comes up, a mental health crisis comes up, or, you know, um, someone has, has a specific injury or something's really going badly wrong, where you do have to be a little bit more directive and jump in and sort of say, actually, do you know what, right now this is, this is quite crucial um, and we may, I, I may have to be a little bit more directive. Um, but, and, and I guess that's the, the, the skills are, are, are mirrored in both situations, aren't they? Knowing when to be a bit more direct and a bit more pushy and knowing when to really pull back and let, let the person have space to, to, to um, flourish and make their own mistakes themselves. Completely. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? And some of the stuff around working with other people and how important that is um, as a leader. And I think I feel at the moment kind of morale around, particularly it's been a really, really, um, well, 2020 has been a really, really challenging year. Um, and morale is kind of at 
an all-time low at the moment is being really, really tested. How do we support our colleagues to carry on doing that excellent job that they're, they're developing, um, but also take care of themselves at the same time? Yeah, well, I, well, and that's why I do like the coaching approaches, because it does take the pressure off you a bit. You know, you're, I think a lot of the pressure that we feel is almost self-imposed. You know, we've, we've touched on it with this feeling of self-vulnerability of, am I good enough? Am I, am I doing a good enough job? You know, and I'm sure there are times when we could do a better job. But, you know, uh, most of the time, almost all the time, really, given the training we've had and the situation we're in, we, you know, we, we, we're doing enough and we should value that, you know. Um, and, you know, if you do move from that kind of all the pressure is on me to find the solution, to find the right way of doing something from actually, OK, I'm in a team here, whether it's a partnership with a patient or with a, with a group of colleagues in a sort of you know, team setting. Um, and actually, you know, this is a collective responsibility together to find the way through this. Um, it takes the pressure off you. Um, and the beautiful thing about it is that actually it becomes more productive. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I like to be really person centered, which can sound really airy fairy, but actually underneath it all, I'm, I'm really performance driven. Um, you know, I, I like to run, I like to bike and I'm, and I'm, I'm quite an, an achiever. But what, what I've realized is that actually this is a very effective way to get good performance. So not only does it feel nice and feel comfortable and less stressful, you get better results. So for me, it's just a win-win. It's great. You know, I suspect a lot of the people list, listening to this will be struggling all the time with, you know, where do I put my energy? Where do I put my effort? Am I doing enough? You know, and I, I have all those dilemmas all the time, you know, sort of, uh, um, you know, and the temptation is just to work a bit harder, isn't it? It's to sort of like, you know, put time in on the weekends or, you know, do stuff, do more stuff in the evenings. And, you know, there are times when that's valuable to do. But equally, I think there's also it's also just good to know that, you know, you What's that? Um, I love that uh, Richard uh, Kipling poem, If, isn't it? You know, and, and they, they, as he talks about sort of, um, a, you know, making every full minute count, you know. Um, and, you know, we, do, we lead full minutes, but they're no, they're no more than a minute. Do you know what I mean? You can't make a minute stretch into two minutes. You just have to just think, well, when I'm putting my time and my effort in, I'm, I'm doing good stuff and I'm making it count. And, but I'm also giving myself some time off as well, you know, because my minutes have run, I've done my minutes and now I need to recharge and, 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 you know, um, take a rest. And that's, that's really important to have the balance of both, isn't it? Yeah. So important. So important. Just thinking about moving forward and what's going on at the moment. And um, what do you perceive as the current challenges going forward into 2021? Well, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? The the challenges with COVID and the vaccination, I think, just mimic the challenges we see with healthcare all the time. And I find it really interesting thinking about the vaccine. It's just an incredible um, microcosm of, of the challenges we face generally, isn't it? So we've got a vaccine, incredible science, you know, just sort of the fact that we understand the immune system enough to be able to manipulate it, you know, and to be able to understand how to insert a little bit of the virus's RNA such that our cells create the the protein and then we can stimulate our immune system to kind of arm itself up this is just incredible science you know and, and the pace they've done that is amazing but you know then then you also know that 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 immune system that the science is tooling up is really dependent on how we look after ourselves you know and that so it's dependent on how um 
you know, how good our mental health is, how good our physical health is, you know, and, and those things are very dependent on the community that you live in, you know, your sense of purpose about yourself, you know, how you fit in with things, you know, your opportunities to look after yourself, to eat well, to exercise, to sleep well, to do good work, you know, or, so actually, you know, for the vaccine to work, you need those, all those things to be lined up. And I think that's the worry for me is that with any of these big crises that come on is that we just focus our attention on the kind of the, what we see as the cutting edge clever stuff, you know, the, the digital tool, the, the vaccine, the kind of like, you know, the search engine or whatever. And actually we miss the wider picture of actually this has to sit in a context of, you know, an immune system and communities that are still supporting each other and they're still needing that nurture and support. So I think the challenge for us is how we then get back to realising that, OK, there might be some little fine crisis management stuff we have to do, but actually the much more effective and bigger picture is how we continue to work as communities and continue to sort of like uh, do the stuff we know that, that causes that to, 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 to flourish and to thrive. Yeah, yeah, I'm so pleased you mentioned communities there, Ollie, because I feel like the community element of things is, is so, so important. And thinking about kind of going forward, we've talked on um, a few podcasts recently and highlighting the um, impact of um, those living in deprivation and our vulnerable patients from um, COVID, both directly and indirectly. Um, and going forward, it's kind of important to think about how we can support those patients and community is a really big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that classic thing again, isn't it? And, you know, can't sort of say, right, I'm going to think about inequalities now. I'm going to think about something else. Inequalities is, is totally weaved into what we do. And it's, I guess it's trying to be thoughtful from this is my perspective. It's trying to be thoughtful about how we do purposefully support that. And it, it isn't a quick fix. It isn't just jumping in and sorting out, telling an individual or telling a community what to do. It is about trying to work with that context and, ha and how it is and the, and the kind of the time and the skill set it takes to trust people to kind of build their own basis. You know, so when you it's the same as working with the person as when you're working with the community, isn't it? You know, the people, the leaders in the community know much more than you do. The people who in, in that context, you know, are the ones that need to be leading this and taking the, um, you know, uh, telling us what's needed, if you like, really. We, we need to listen more to them. Uh, but we're, we're often, we often do it the other way around, don't we? We feel like we can jump in and we can tell them how it should be and how it should be organised. And we've got some great, bright ideas. We might have some techniques and some strategies and some knowledge that perhaps they don't have. But I can guarantee you the communities have much more of the answer of what's going to help that community to become a supportive, healthy community than we do. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And um, I feel as GPs, we have such a unique place within the community to have that interaction and those conversations. Yeah, well, definitely, don't we? And that's that's what I that's what why I wanted to be a primary care network clinical director. Um, you know, it's a really tricky role. It's supposed to be one day a week, and goodness, it's a big challenge. But it's um it's just taking things in the direction I think healthcare needs to go. You know how we you know we widen our scope. We we take our health skills and we widen it in a social context, um, and we work as a as a much bigger um, sort of collective collaborative team. That that to me is so exciting because it, it's it comes back to performance again. I think it will it will be our route to developing better health for our populations in the end. It's going to take a while, <laughs> but it feels to me like it's the right way to go. So that's why I wanted to get stuck in because it's it's like well, okay, where, where what little bit can I do? Well, maybe I can be a part of that glue that 
brings it together and and um, you know is rolling up your sleeves and finding out how we can make it work because it's really difficult. It's not it's not it's not easy. It's not like anybody's got the answer. I don't think anyone's got the answer. You know, don't there's no master plan. I don't think you know of a, a little group of people in, in uh, down in London somewhere and the NHS going, oh yes, this is how you do it. You know, they they don't know. We're we're all we're all learning and discovering it at, at, in the moment. Yeah, completely. And I I, I think. It, the more I learn, I just realise that it's going to look different in different areas of the country. Yeah. Yeah. Ollie, I'd love to chat to you all day, but I know knowing you, you'll be getting out on your bike or going for a run on a sunny Saturday that it is. So I don't want to keep you for too long. You have to do that stuff that you enjoy that, that makes you tick as well as the work because it's it's what gives you the energy to, to make your work effective, isn't it? Oh, completely. I completely agree. And I'll be getting out as well today. <laughs> so just my final questions that I always ask on the podcast is one book or resource that you'd recommend to someone who is interested in tackling health inequalities, thinking about, as you're talking about, health inequalities being integrated so much within the system. Is there something that you would recommend to go away and read or to think about or some resources kind of maybe linked to what you've been talking about today? Yeah, yeah, there's loads. Isn't there? I knew you were going to ask me this. And there was um, often the stuff I read is often sort of articles and things. And there's a couple of really important articles. I think the, the Realising the Value report from Nestor a couple of years ago was really good. And um, they did that with the Health Foundation and NHS England. And then um, Good Help, Bad Help is another document that Nestor put out, which was really good. Um, we, we linked to those on our Peak Health website, actually. But, you know, um, there's the book, if I was not recommend a book, the book that's had the most influence on me recently um, was one um, uh, by a guy called Victor Montori called um, uh, Why We Revolt, A Patient Revolution for Careful and Kind Care. And I think he, it's a beautiful book. It's so beautifully written. I had the pleasure of meeting him actually uh, last year at one of the personalised care meetings. And he's just a really thoughtful, dedicated guy. And he, he for me, encapsulates that uh, that sort of span between the clever medical stuff that we do carefully need to pay attention to and that sort of compassionate thoughtful um respectful care you know where, where you are appreciating that actually the person has so much more to contribute than you do probably to the situation and and how you you respect that balance he, he, he puts it beautifully and it's in a really inspiring book for your your career um so I did, and then, now the other so the other resource i'd say and it's been funny it's happened over christmas so we watched the film educating rita um again with the kids it's, uh, and it was great. It's a film watched a while back, and it's just um, sometimes you've got to watch fun stuff as well, haven't you? But there's so many messages in that which are brilliant. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Michael Caine and Julie Walters, um, and it's just an amazing story about you know someone from a really you know sort of working class background in Liverpool wants to kind of be educated and speak like them, you know, be able to sort of like be like you guys, you know. And you see this kind of transition happen, um, and it, it's an amazing, it's a lovely, lovely film. But there's a beautiful bit in it where uh, um, you know, Michael Caine, as the, as the kind of alcoholic professor, sort of asks her, what are you going to do now, Rita? You know, and she says, oh, I don't know. I might do this. I might do that. You know? But she says, at least I've got the choice now. You know? And now I've got the choice. And for me, that's the essence of it. And I heard um, you know, when you interviewed Michael Marmot, it was lovely. I heard him answer this question. And he said about Amartya Sen's book, Development as Freedom, as being his book. And that is it's, it's a a book I've read myself and um, my wife is much more conversant at that than me, but um, it, it, it's brilliant really. Cause that's the whole thing about Amartya Sen as well is this whole thing that it's about having the freedom to choose. That's the key thing. You know, you, you can, you can decide in the end like that, uh, you know, Asian mum actually that your kids are your priority. That's absolutely fine, but at least have the freedom to do that, you know? And for me, that's the essence of what creates 
a good life for someone is that they've got the freedom to do the things that they value, the freedom to pursue the things that matter to them. Um, and if we hold those sort of values at the core, we, we will be really good doctors. Yeah, oh, Ollie, I love all of those. Um, thank you so much. I'm going to put um, a link to um, those in the show notes, including the Peak Health Coaching website. So don't worry if you didn't get all of those down. <laughs> and Ollie, the final question I always ask is, you've got one magic genie wish. And I know one feels um, probably quite a small thing, but if you have one magic genie wish to try and tackle health inequalities, um, what would your one wish be? Yeah, again, I knew you were going to ask this and I sort of like, I was running the other day and I was mulling it in my head and I was thinking, I came up with a sort of like a really grandiose one as I was thinking actually, you know, that part of the problem really is about what, what we value, you know, and that we, at the moment, our society holds so much, we kind of, um, we value wealth, don't we? And we value money, you know, sort of um, so much inequalities around inequalities of wealth, isn't it? You know, and we still pursue that kind of um you know, sort of wealth and, and financial security is a marker of our success. It, it would be lovely if there was an alternative marker of success that wasn't just money, you know, that there was some other currency. And I thought that sounds so grandiose and sort of like, you know, over the top. So uh, then I sort of thought again, I just thought, actually, well, maybe just the, the real simple thing is that is that we do start to value that coaching style mindset, you know, and, you know, surely when's the wrong time to use it not use it and when's the right time but it, it does feel to me like that's a really big sea change in how we practice as a health community you know that shifting to sort of like not thinking about what's important to us but about what's what matters most to the person in front of you and focusing all your attention on on how your your purpose is based around that and how they're thinking rather than how you're thinking it's a, it's a real mindset shift and and I think that that needs to be core. So that that's doable. I think that really is doable. Um, you know how we embed that into our system. Yeah, fantastic, Ollie. Well, thank you, thank you. And that yeah, that kind of brings our conversation to a close in such a nice way because it rounds off a lot of what you've been saying. I've taken away loads from this. I think specifically around kind of meeting patients where they are. That's health coaching, really having that mindset shift and building the importance of trust and rapport within the consultation. Um, and with that, taking pressure off the professional, which um, can help us to really kind of go in and have confidence that we're doing the right thing for our patients, which is so much of meaningful work and job satisfaction. And with that, you actually can do a better job, I think, as well. So, well, you've got yeah. to love what you do, haven't you? You know, yeah. sort of. I, I'm lucky. I I love what I do. I really love it. It's really difficult and hard and challenging, but I love it. And I think if you don't have that, you know, if you're not doing something that really makes you tick, you you probably won't do it as well as you can do. So, so it's so important. So important, yeah. Thank you, Ollie. Well, thank you for giving up your time on a Saturday to um, come and chat to everyone about all the amazing work you've been doing. So thank you. Well, thanks for what you're doing as well. I love these podcasts. You know. Well, thanks, listening everyone i really hope you enjoyed this episode further podcast episodes modules blog posts and more educational resources are available on the fair health website at www.fairhealth.org.uk if you enjoyed the episode please do subscribe so you're updated when we release more episodes it's always lovely to hear from you and thank you for all the comments and feedback we've had about the podcast over the last few years Please get in touch via Twitter at FairHealthUK or at RMSteam. We're really looking forward to you joining us next time on our journey to finding fair health.
Hello and Happy New Year.